come inside. Ignore the strange stickiness of the carpet beneath your feet. Find the right seat, the one without the missing arm and the exposed springs. Pull the candy bar out of your inside coat pocket. Look at the color swirl as the canned music plays. Wait for the lights to go down. Listen for the telltale clacking of film being pulled through the gate. Relax. Watch. Because we all feel better, better in the dark. dark. Oh, I have a feeling Patricia would beat up the ghost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is my house, and you ain't... There's nothing to fear. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ghosts wouldn't dare come in this house. Patricia, you are not bringing down my property values. I'm sitting across from this guy, and I'm reading Jonathan Strange and yeah, Mr. Oh, yeah, Norris. Yeah. And there's a guy across from me, Hispanic guy. And he's got his earphones on, and he's listening to his MP3. After about 15, 20 minutes, he leans across and he taps me on my knee, politely. Yeah. And I said, yeah, he said, no, nah, man. He said, I'm sorry to disturb you. He said, I just want to ask you something. He said, you going to read that whole big book? <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the big speech, which now, I guess, has become yeah. a Matt Smith thing every three yeah. or four episodes. that way, yeah. He gets to have the big speech where he tells the alien, piss off, or I'm going to fuck up your day. Academy Award winner, Helen Mirren. And she ain't taking your shit. There is a long history of animosity between those two countries. In fact, it was funny that when World War II started breaking out, the first thing the Russians did was, let's invade Finland. <laughs> you know, let's screw that guy over there in Germany. Let's mess with Finland. <laughs> and they say, I don't know, but Hitler's the enemy. No, no, Finland! Finland! <laughs> okay, well, we Finland. I imagine Jeff Lowe sitting around in a wizard uniform somewhere going like, I am the king of Hollywood! Bow <laughs> down to me! Terry Crews takes a missile and the missile I hail Caesar is the coolest guy ever. He arms it and then Hail Caesar says, Well, what you want me to do with it? And Stallone says, What do you think? Throw it! And he throws <laughs> the missile at the helicopter. Flint had a vintage That's car. Right. That's and he had a Lear jet. But the whole point of this scene is just to see Stella Stevens fall in the mud. has a station <laughs> wagon in. A station wagon, kid. And until we get back in touch with you... Go watch that movie. Right, Devin? Go watch that movie. <laughs> it's been a long, strange trip. Yeah. We came awful close to this being the last episode. Closer than you know. Yes. <laughs> no, I think they know. After that tantrum we had that one time. I don't consider it a tantrum. I consider it a heartfelt conversation right. with our loyal listeners. Because, right. let's face it, if we can't be honest with them, who can we right. be honest with? And that's one thing that we've always prided ourselves mm-hmm. on. For better or for worse, here at Better in the Dark is our honesty. Okay. You may not like what we say. But there's one thing you got to admit, it's straight off the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Is that the proper expression, straight from the shoulder or straight off the shoulder? If that's what you want to say, Jay-Z. <laughs> but this is Derek Ferguson, of course. And this is the famous podcaster, Thomas DJ. <laughs> you see what you started, Paul? And this is, of course, the... You know uh, I'm not going to let that go. Yes. I'm going to throw that in every hey, chance I get. This is the 150th episode of Better in the Dark. 150 episodes of reviews, commentary, controversy, memes, jokes, 
inappropriate laughter, breaking each other up. Inappropriate laughter. Uh, Speaking of which, a lot inappropriate. Somebody sent us something. Bill Robinson, who is a listener, he sent us this after episode 147, Mm -hmm. which was the episode we did the autopsy on NBC. Oh, okay. And this is what he had to say about that. Ah, good evening, Thomas DJ. Might I interest you in a light bulb? <laughs> okay, that's something that, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah that's just weird. <laughs> that's just, that just goes to show you the influence that we're having on people, and it's, sometimes I have to wonder about it. But that was very good. Yeah, admittedly, these wrote on this last 50 episodes were a little bit rocky. Part of it is just because both of us have become a little bit more active in our respective desired careers as writers. You've been doing very well with Dylan and Bastion Red and Paul. And I'm just getting old and cranky. That too. And I've been working hard on getting the Shadow Legion done. And I've got some other things in the works. And we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Okay. And to talk about being old and cranky, to give you an idea how old and cranky the two of us are, guess what we now have? What do we now have? A Twitter feed. Finally? After all this time? We're on the Twit. (laughs) <laughs> with twits if you want to follow us on twitter from now on you can go to at bitd show mm-hmm. and we'll update you on all the wonderful things that are going on and one of the things we're going to use the twitter feed for and we're going to do it today 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 and i'm going to do it right now is we're going to field questions live from the 21 followers we now have. Shame on you. This is one of those weird time travel aspects about doing this that I kind of like because a lot of you that are listening to this right now are going, shit, why didn't I know about this? Right. Because <laughs> you're going to be listening to this when, Tom? Sometime in June. Sometime in June. And we're recording this now on the 22nd of May. Yeah, and on the 24th. Fifth is going to be episode 148, which is the return of Guilt Edge Bonds, where yeah. the two of us and Russa Anderson a long time ago talked about Skyfall. Right, long time ago. But we're bringing it back. And it's kind of pretty good that we are talking about it now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to take up too much of your time, folks, because we got a lot that we got to cover. Right. But it's kind of interesting because Skyfall is coming back into the public eye because of the rumors that Christopher Nolan is going to be directing. But we had a Christopher Nolan Well, James that's Bond. what I keep saying. It wasn't the last one a Christopher Nolan James Bond oh, movie? Oh, Lord. Because oh. you know what I call it when I want to piss off people? I call it James Bond, Bond Rising. Rise. Yeah. For today. Yeah. What we did was we went on our Facebook page, which you can go to by going on Facebook and looking for Better in the Dark and joining. And we actually had a rash of people joining the last two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I'm not questioning it. Thank no, you. Welcome that, to everybody. Yeah. Welcome to everybody. But we've had quite a few people yeah. that have been asking to sign up so the word is getting around we're getting popular there Tom that's right it just took us about close to eight years but hey there is one thing and I don't remember who said it mm-hmm. but it was a musical artist and all of a sudden he blew up people were calling him an overnight success he said yeah it only took me 20 years <laughs> I forget who that was but I know it was a musical guy right. I, I have to look that up because I like that because there is people no forget that, like, for example Stephen King before Stephen King hit it big with Carrie he spent several years selling right uh, to the men's magazines stories to men's magazines and yeah. not the good men's magazines either right places he, like Swank yeah, those real bottom feeder mm-hmm. magazine. Yeah, and he did that while he was supporting himself as a high school teacher. Matter of fact, when he hit it big with Carrie, he was getting ready to throw in the towel and quit. 
And it was his wife that said, no, send this into a publisher. This right. is really good. But he was getting ready to throw that in. That is one creative family, isn't it? Yeah. Both of his sons are now. And his I wife mean, is also a... His wife is a writer. Do you remember the controversy way back when, I think, when her first novels were coming out? Because I read the first yeah. one, Small World. Which was a kind of horror novel, and there was a whole big thing that people were saying, oh no, well that's really Stephen King's novel. And he said, no, no, he said, my wife has been writing for a long He really took exception to mm -hmm. those rumors. I have not read any of his son's novels, but I understand that. Joe Hill. Yeah, Joe yeah, Hill. Joe Hill is really good. He they specifically say, chose a name that had nothing to do with King, so that people wouldn't think, oh, it's just... Him coasting on nepotism. Right. I've just recently became aware that the other son is a writer mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. But they said, no, Joe Hill is really good. They said, I should be reading him. So I'm going to get into him when so, I get into So, what we did for this episode, we like to try to do something that involves our fans. In addition to the live tweeting, I've got the tweeter page. Yeah. I don't know what you call this thing because I'm old. Yeah. Up right now, and hopefully the 21 followers, shame on you will start asking questions as we conduct this episode. As we go along, we'll be answering these questions, right. in which we will be answering live, but right. you won't be hearing until so, next month, so yeah. we'll be live when you hear it. But it will be live without a net. Where is Doc Brown it? when you really exactly. need him? <laughs> it's just timey-wimey, tubbly-wubbly, whatever. Did you watch the I'm a little behind. I'm a little behind. Okay. What was the last one you saw? I saw was Hyde. I didn't like that one. Okay. I like the one with the Ice Warrior. I don't like that one either. Okay, that's fine. You know what it, it reminded me of? What? You remember 42? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's right. You didn't care for 42. I didn't care for 42. And I, and I like 42 yeah, yeah. a lot. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. But you were saying? No, I was just saying that now that thought went out of my head about... Name uh, of the Doctor. Right, name of the doc. No, I just want to know had you seen it yet. But it well, to be fair, the big surprise was kind of spoiled for me a long time ago. Right. It's something that's kind of frustrating about the world we live in today, which is that it's very hard to get a surprise past us now because so many people. When, when Iron Man three came out, all the people saying, "Please do be respectful. Don't." start spoiling stuff until we all got a chance to see. Right. Although I do think that there should be a moratorium after about, let's say, if after like two months, it's okay to talk. Yeah. As a matter of fact, yesterday I wrote a review of Star Trek Into mm -hmm. Darkness, which I just seen. And of course, when I write my reviews, if it's a review of a movie that has just been released, I try not to do spoilers. But I had seen so many reviews already mm -hmm. where the big reveal was spoiled right. that I didn't worry about it this time. But you're right, it's getting to the point where if there's something coming out that you want to see and you really don't want it spoiled, mm -hmm. it's almost like you actually have to stay off the internet until you see it. Because you're going to run into somebody talking about it, one of your friends, or you're going to read something inadvertently you're going to click on something and you're just going to see or people just have to stop freaking out about spoilers right. I guess which people aren't going to do because they go oh no I don't want my movie spoiled no it would no, no it's not right no. it would ruin my movie going experience to have it spoiled so oh what I was going to say about Doctor Who right I am not going to be satisfied until Madame Vashta and Jenny and Strax get their own series right now that's what I live for when Doctor Who comes out. Th okay, somebody raised a point. Do you think that maybe they're pushing them too hard? That they're kind of trying to create a self-fulfilling prophecy? Here's the only reason why I don't want them to get their own series. Okay. Because after the mess they made out of Torchwood, I kind of figured it might go that same route. Yeah. And, and I would rather much see Man of Ashton and Jenny mm -hmm. and Strax show up two or three times a season rather than... Right. 
give them a weekly series that burns out after a year. They're just too good of characters to be thrown away and sacrificed on the altar of weekly television. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that maybe wearing that makeup. Gotta be painful for both of those actors. Right. Who do such a phenomenal job Mm -hmm. of acting through all of that, that the personalities of the characters come through in such a marvelous way, which is why I guess we love them so much. Did you see Crimson Horror? That's the next one after Hyde. All right. We have to do a Doctor who episode well, we haven't done do. one in a while. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, we yeah. haven't done one, which means I guess it's time for me to... Actually, Shag and I have been doing Who True Freaks once a month for the Two True Freaks Network. Right. I will approach him about maybe coming in and we can tolerate his stank. Oh, sure. Uh, he can come on and we can talk about it. Yeah, because like I said, we haven't done... Done one in a while. Done one in a long time. And the whole reveal of the latest companion, Clara. Right. I'm interested in hearing what people think about that. Because that... That truly came out of left field. I didn't expect mm-hmm. that. Getting back to what we're supposed, what we're to, be supposed to be doing. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we went on our Facebook, 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 Facebook page. Facebook. <laughs> I like that better than Facebook. Actually. Yeah, Facebook. <laughs> I just had this picture of this big old paddle. You want to get somebody's attention? Whack! <laughs> Thank you, sir. Can I have another? Yes. We went to our loyal followers and asked them to suggest movies for us to review on the 150th episode. Mm-hmm. The rules were it could not be a movie that we had reviewed previously or discussed at some length previously. So somebody had suggested that I review Surrogates. But since we had already discussed it on a previous episode, that was invalid. Right. Theoretically, I wanted films that we had either expressed a distaste for in the past or that we had expressed an unwillingness to see. Yeah, and we got two assignments each. We got some pretty good suggestions, yeah. by the way. Oh, and to the one person that sent me that email, you know who you are. I'm not going to call your name out here because I don't do that and I've already answered yeah. it in person. No, it is not my obligation and responsibility to review every single movie that comes out. There are certain movies that I find morally reprehensible and I am not going to review them. I'm not even going to discuss them on here, which is why you will never hear me review Hostile or... The right. human centipede. We've already talked about our distaste for Eli fucking Roth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why I find it funny because I also opened up my own Twitter account, which if anybody's interested is Nocturne Tom DJ. Mm-hmm. You have that little box on the left-hand side saying, maybe you would like to follow this person. Oh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> the first three people that they... Or the last three people that you would be following. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, would you like to follow Britney Spears? How about Katy Perry? How about Jennifer Lopez? How about Eli Roth? The first 15 tweets I've made are, you've got to be kidding me. And let me clarify something, folks. So we've said this many, many, many times before in the past. And I guess a lot of you just don't get it by now. There are just some people and some things that I'm not interested in and Tom right. is not interested in. That's okay. We all don't have to like the same things. I love Katy Perry myself. Tom yeah. doesn't like her. But well, that's okay. Had, but yeah, yeah. You, you and I have had discussions about Katy Perry. Yeah. That's fine. And I will say this about Katy Perry. She has written two songs I actually think are really good. Friday Night and Wide Awake. Okay. Those two songs, to me, are really well-structured pop songs. I don't care for the bulk of her work. I'm just head up to the eyebrows with people. Every time you say, I don't like this, I don't like it. Well, why are you such a hater? 
It's not about being a hater. I just don't like it. That's the bottom line. If you can't deal with that, that's your problem. That's not mine because I'm not going to like everything. And I guess because people figure that we do this podcast that we're supposed to cover Mm -hmm. everything. First of all, that's physically impossible for us to cover everything. And me, frankly, I would rather concentrate my time and effort on promoting things that I enjoy instead of tearing down things that I don't like. Which, granted, we have torn things down we don't like. That's true. But we've done it because we felt strongly enough about it that this is what... Like an upcoming episode where we do a BITD autopsy on the show the following. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where we were so frustrated that we needed to vent a little bit. But it's so toxic. That's the problem. Well, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. There was that time when the episode that Derek and I only refer to as That Show. That Show. Dun, dun, dun. The one episode where I think we kind of stepped over the line to a point, primarily I stepped over the line, and that prompted me to come to you afterwards and said, I've got to rein in Randy Tom. If you never step over the line, how do you know where the line is? I think occasionally, yes, you do have to cross the line once in a while mm-hmm. so that you can look at it and say, this is where the line is, so I know where it is. In other words, you got to go out there until you feel the first arrow hit you in the back, and then you know you yeah. went too far, and then you go back to the wagon train. Mm-hmm. That's okay once in a while because it keeps the show unpredictable which is what I think a lot of people like it keeps you on your toes it keeps me on my toes it keeps them on their toes more importantly and it's just a necessary thing for the creative growth of the show which is what I tell people all the time when they say oh I wish I could do a show like you and Tom well do it as long as we have and yeah you'll be able to because it took us a long time to figure out first thing you need to do is just sit down and start doing it well first that's the first thing exactly that's the first step you just start you can go to to betterinthedarksite.com go back to our first episode we didn't know what the hell we were doing I tell people all the time it took us about a year or two before we finally figured out the first episode I think where things were starting to fall into place. Periodically, every couple of months, I review all the episodes to see if there's an episode we said we were going to do that we missed. Right. I think that there are certain periods that usually last about ten episodes Mm. where we're really hitting on all cylinders. The first one started around about episode ten when we did the episode about serialized drama. Oh, television. And then we had the episode that I think most people consider to be our first classic. Better in the Dark version of Seinfeld's The Chinese Restaurant. Right. Which was the episode about the Halloween series. Oh, okay, yeah. That's the one where a lot of people found us for the first time and said, these guys are good and continue to follow us. No, that's a good analogy, the Chinese restaurant. People forget. Everyone thinks about Seinfeld as this amazing television show, which changed the face of how television comedy is done, which it was. But it went through about six... Seven episodes. I was listening to an episode that Adam Carolla did where he interviewed Warren Littlefield. And he said he believed in the show, but nobody else at NBC did. So mm-hmm. NBC only ordered four episodes at first. Right. That's when it was the Seinfeld was Chronicles. The, exactly. That was the episode everyone says, the Chinese restaurant, where everybody figured out what this show was going to be. And Seinfeld wasn't a hit until I think his third or fourth year. It ran for a while before anybody knew who or what Seinfeld was. What were we supposed to be doing again? We're going to review the four films that were assigned to us by four of our fans. But first, to show you the magic of Twitter, yes, we now have our first question. Okay, what's the first question? First question is from Matt Laub, and he asks, What are your thoughts on the possible Avengers recasts? And is the studio being greedy or the actors? Oh, God, do we got to go into this now? 
Well, here's the thing, Matt. Either you've already heard it or you're going to hear it very soon in the next recording session. We're going to record a point five about this very situation. Well, I guess we can talk in the general about it. First off, I think the one thing that we can take away from this situation is that Robert Downey Jr. is the classiest human being on the face of the planet. Matter of fact, we're going to give out an award we haven't given out in quite a while. The J.T. Kroll Stand Up Guy Award. For Stand Up guy goes to Robert Downey Jr. For thinking of his co-workers before himself. Mm-hmm, yeah. To me, that's why you have clout. You have clout for a situation just like this. Right. Where you can swing that big club. You don't use it to get more limousines or more mm-hmm. jets. You use it to see that people are treated fairly. Right. And that's all he's asking. Listen, and I was just talking to Tom about this. It's kind of hard when you, as a studio, you're bragging how many billions of dollars your movie is making. Mm-hmm. And then when one of the people who contribute to you making that money... Comes to you and just say, listen, you think I can have a little bit more money? And you talk about, well, we don't have any money. Well, uh, what do you mean you don't have any money? You just got finished bragging about the billions of dollars that the movie is making. Do what's right and pay these people their money. And the thing that this present situation makes me wonder about is, has this been going on a long time. Now, it puts, for example, the whole situation with Terrence Howard in a new light. Yeah, because people are talking about, oh, he's such a dick for leaving the Iron Man series. He could have did this, he could have did that. He probably saw, you know, and he probably did the same thing. He just said, you're making all this money. I'm not asking for a solid gold Rolls Royce. I'm just asking for a little slice of the pie. From what I understand, Terrence Howard in the first film was the highest paid actor because he was at the time the biggest name. Right. Robert Downey Jr. actually took a lesser cut because I think he knew that this was a role that would have revitalized his career, which it did. When it came time for Iron Man 2, they gave Robert Downey Jr. a large pay raise but did not give Terrence Howard one. Mm -hmm. Terrence Howard said, I want the same deal. I want to be better paid than Robert Downey Jr. And they said, that's not going to happen this time. Mm -hmm. Now, personally, I think it worked out for the better because I think Don Cheadle was a much better actor. And we were seeing in this film and that, and and, uh, three, Mm -hmm. that Rhodey is a much richer character under Cheadle. Now that we are hearing all this stuff about Prince Hemsworth, and about Scarlett Johansson doesn't want to come back. Well, if Scarlett Johansson, if she walks away, it's not going to hurt her career at all. Yeah, exactly. She's still going to make two, three movies a year. Chris Hemsworth, eh, he should wait until after Thor yeah. Dark World comes yeah. out before he starts making salary demands. Because, see, if that movie doesn't do well at all, then they're going to tell you, well, listen, man, you got to take what we give you or recast. Or they'll just introduce a new character. Right. That's all. Josh Whedon has now let the cat out of the bag that he's got Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Oh, yeah, yeah. For two. They can do without Black Widow. And as you said, it's no skin off Scarlet Johansson's nose. But we'll get into this more fully in a point five, which either you have heard or you're going to hear. Okay. Matt, but thank you very much for the question. Now it's time to start, I guess, doing reviews while we wait for the next question. Okay. Who you, wants to start? you want to go first or you want me to go first? Um, which well, what one? movies are you doing, first of all? Okay. Suggested by Walter Bonham, I watched The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Right. And suggested by Robert Bell, I saw The Lion King. Ah, the circle. Yes. And which two films did you see and who suggested them? I watched Alkazam the Great, suggested by our good buddy Jay Shelton. Okay. 
And I also watch Primer, which mm-hmm. is recommended by the host of Instant Depths, Adam Orchikowski, yes. If I'm if mispronouncing it, Adam, forgive me. For those of you who have been listening, you know we had Adam on not right. long ago. Either we had him on or we're going to have him on. Have him on. That it looks more like we're going to have him on because I'm thinking that after 48 goes out, the next one is going to be the episode we're going to record after this one. Which is the Ray Harryhausen tribute. Okay. Because he's a great, great man and he has passed away. So Then but, you come, Adam. We promise. Right. But he recommended Primer. Let's save Best Little Whorehouse to, because both okay. of us like that one. Okay. So we can go out on a high note. Uh, you know what? I'll start out with Primer. Okay. So we're going to take a slight pause here while I play Adam's reasoning. And then we'll get into our discussion of Primer. Hey, Derek and Tom. This is Adam from the Instant Depths podcast. I uh, just want to say congratulations on your 150th episode and wanted to suggest a movie for Derek to watch. That would be 2004's Primer, mainly because it was a very intriguing movie to me, and i like to just see what his thoughts are on it and just see if he can't figure out how time travel works in this movie. As always, looking forward to new episodes and keep up the good work. So, Primer is a movie that I had heard of. Actually, it had been in my Netflix Instant Cube for, I would say, about a year. But I just hadn't gotten around to watching it yet, which is why I'm glad that his suggestion gave me the impetuous to finally watch this movie. First of all, let me just say this about Primer. If anybody ever tells you that they watched it and they understood it, either demand to see their Ph.D., Or they're lying their ass off. I'm serious. This is a movie that you have to be a Reed Richards or a Tony Stark to understand the time travel method that works in this movie. I've seen this movie three times. Mm -hmm. Three times, mind you. And that's not really as top. Because the movie actually, it's like an hour and 15 minutes long. It's not that long of a movie. When you go to the Wikipedia page, they actually have a graph on there that describes... The time travel method. I still don't get it. It works, but I don't get it. I'm not going to sit up here. I'm going to try to pretend I get it. Right. I'm not going to try to explain it to you guys. All I got to say is go see the movie. Mm -hmm. And this is why you should see the movie. Okay. First of all, just let me set it up real quick for you. There are these two engineers. There's Aaron, played by Shane Carruth, who directed, wrote, and produced this movie, and he starred in it, and Abe. Played by David Sullivan. There's two other guys that they work with, but they're not important to the plot. Anyway, these guys are scientists. They work for a large corporation, but they also got their little small business on the side that they're running out of Aaron's garage. They're working on their own projects separately. The other two guys, Robin and Philip, are working on theirs, and Aaron and Abe are working on their own. Mm -hmm. And while they're working on this project, they accidentally discover time travel, which is how a lot of things are discovered. One of the reasons why I like this movie is because... What do they do when they figure out that they can go back in time? Well, they figure out how they can make some money off of it. <laughs> they don't have any lofty goals about, let's go back and kill Hitler, or let's go back and wipe out slavery. Or, no, they don't got, got law. They want to make money. Now, apparently this time travel method involves there being duplicates of yourself running around in the same time period and you have to be careful you don't inadvertently bump into you. Not because there's going to be an antimatter explosion. It's just you simply don't want to run into yourself. Because there is a scene where Abe takes Aaron to the warehouse where the time machine is located at. Because you have to go into this box. You stay in there for six hours while your future self is running around doing... See, I'm getting confused already. Okay. 
But there is a scene where he shows Aaron, he takes him to the warehouse where it's located, and they look through binoculars, and they see his other self going into the box, getting mm-hmm. ready to come out. Hilarity ensues because, of course, <laughs> these guys are looping back on their own timelines right. and doing things they shouldn't do. But it's not cataclysmic, world-changing things. It's little small things. Let me get to the meat and potatoes of this review. This is why you should see the movie. This is why I liked it, I should say. Right. Because... I didn't understand what was going on. I know this sounds confusing, but let me explain. When you watch Primer and you listen to the dialogue, I didn't understand 90% of the dialogue, and it wasn't until the second time that I watched the movie that I understand why I didn't understand 90% of the dialogue. Because they weren't talking to me. The characters were talking to each other. And then I realized how much of dialogue in movies is for us, the audience, to inform us as to what's going on, explaining. Right. These characters talk as if there is no audience. They're talking to each other and they're talking in a language that they understand. And then I said, oh, okay, I got it. Once I realized that, then I could just sit back and just watch the movie. To this day, yes, like I said, I've seen it three times. Mm-hmm. I couldn't begin to explain to you 90% of what these guys were talking about. But to me, that just adds to the charm of the movie because... For the first time in a long time, I felt like I really was eavesdropping on something that I had no business watching mm-hmm. because of the dialogue and the way these guys interacted with each other. It's got a good documentary feel to it because it was made for such a low budget. The movie was made for $7,000. It's a conventionally shot movie. It's not a found footage movie, right? No, it's not a found footage movie. It's conventionally mm-hmm. shot, and it's shot well. It's shot in a very documentary style. I have it up on the... B-I-T-D Jumbotron even as we speak and you can see we're shot and it's not glitzy it's not and I like it because I got the impression these guys aren't wearing costumes those are probably clothes that came out of their own closets the tech that they use is not high tech glitzy Star Trek stuff it's stuff that we see every day it's a very very well it looks kind of retro yeah, it could be taking any place from the 70s to now. This is a fascinating movie. It's one you're going to sit there, and if you're easily frustrated, I would not recommend that you watch it, because I guarantee, unless you've got a genius-level IQ and mm-hmm. you've been to MIT, you're not going to understand 90% of what these guys are saying, and I guarantee, damn T, you are not going to understand the time travel method that's using this movie. Right. But apparently it worked. And the guy who wrote this movie produced it, Shane Carruth, he is a genius, apparently. He's a math prodigy. And according to him, he worked out this method of time travel, and it would work. I don't know. Right. I don't know. But, yes, I do recommend Primer. It's on Netflix Instant. If you're not doing anything... I don't get the impression, though, this is not a laundry movie. Yeah. This is not light Friday or Saturday night viewing. This is a movie that you view... If you really want to watch it, because you have to sit and right. pay attention to the movie. And even then, like I keep saying, and it's true, you're not going to understand half of it, folks. This is probably the only movie that I'm going to recommend where I'm going to recommend that you watch it because you won't understand right. what's going on. <laughs> I know how that sounds, but trust me, watch it for yourself and then we'll talk. So that's my first okay. movie, Primer. You said you want to take Best Little Whorehouse last. Well, yeah. Which means that we are taking Robert Bell's pick. Okay. Which is The Lion King. Ah. Robert did not send us an MP3, but he did express when he was commenting on the thread that his main reason for asking me to look at this was because he thought that I had some dim view of what he calls the Disney Renaissance era, and he wanted me to comment on it. So I watched The Lion King. Eh. 
Yeah. I'm not quite sure if it's the third or the fourth. I know that the first two were Little Mermaid and Little Beauty Mermaid and the Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. But I'm not sure if Aladdin came before Lion King or Lion King came before Aladdin. I'm not sure either. The story, everybody knows the story by now. You well, know. it's Kimba the White Lion. It's Kimba the White Lion, yes. yes. Simba, not Kimba, is born to Mustafa and his mate and is being groomed to be the new king of the jungle. However, Mustafa's brother Scar, played by Jeremy Irons, mm-hmm. and his hyena henchmen yeah. plot to kill Mustafa and Simba. Two of them are voiced by, I know one is voiced by, by Dave Landert. Oh, David okay. Dave Landert is one of them. Cheech Marin is Cheech another. Cheech Marin is another. And Whoopi Go, yeah. yeah. Whoopi. Oh, okay. So that Scar takes over and hands the pride lands over to the hyenas. That doesn't go well. Meanwhile, Simba <laughs> runs away, is saved from heat exhaustion by Timon and Pumbaa, and grows up into adulthood. A warthog and a meerkat, I think. Yes. This will be, yeah. Two random animals that just happen to be living on the... Grows up, encouraged by Nyla, his betrothed, mm-hmm. comes back to the pride land to retake his birthright. That's it in a it's nutshell. It's in a nutshell. Not really that impressed. Not a okay. deep movie, folks. <laughs> it was okay for what it was. I tried to, when I was watching this, keep in mind what Robert's purpose was in asking me to watch it, which is to talk about the, why I have a problem with the Disney Renaissance. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the last time we visited the lands of Disney, which was when we talked about the dark days of Disney, that weird period just before the Renaissance. Yeah. Where Eisner and them were trying a lot of very strange and unusual things. The Black Cauldron, the Black Hole, something wicked this way comes. Yeah. They were just trying to find a new identity for themselves. And this one actually is kind of the anomaly of the group because it's all anthropomorphic animals. Right. So it's kind of actually a little different from my problem with the Renaissance is that very quickly the Renaissance period falls into formula. Here's the princess, whether she's Belle or Pocahontas or Esmeralda or Jasmine. Here is the plucky sidekick, whether it's Timon or it's the little platy things or it's the gargoyles or Mm. it's Mushu the dragon. Here's the villain who is played by, of course, usually an A-list actor. Well... Okay, this is where the Lion King actually. This is what this I think. Is what I'm saying is that it is the anomaly. But this is what I think it started. Yeah. Even more so than Beauty and the Beast, which did mm-hmm. kind of start this, but it's in full blown mode in the Lion King. In that, this is the first mm-hmm. major Disney animated movie where actually they sold the talent more than the story. Oh. Songs by Elton John, Jeremy Irons is the bad guy, Whoopi Goldberg, they listened to, because folks, you gotta remember something, years back, it was actually considered an embarrassment for an actor to be in an animated movie, and they didn't list the names of the people that were doing it, of course, now, it's a big thing, and if you notice, in animated movies, you go see the trailer, they don't put starring as the voice of, they put the name of the actor, so-and-so is, Mm -hmm. so it's become a big thing now. And to me, that started with the Lion King. They started building the talent. Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. Right, yeah. James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones, right. So they started pushing the talent. Okay, well, this is who we got for this animated movie. It used to be that you had to go into an animated movie, and you walked out saying, well, who did that voice? But now you go, and you say, oh, okay, well, that's Rob Lowe. Right. You know who it is. To me, that's the selling point for them to get the adults to come in. Kids don't care. This is the other problem with the formula. And admittedly, the Disney Renaissance, 
Khan's team did it a lot better than the people who followed. The DreamWorks team, people who did stuff for Fox, like the Prince of Egypt and Anastasia. I think that it really hit with Aladdin. Mm -hmm. Where they tried to do it on two levels where you had the regular adventure for the kids and Mm -hmm. you had the knowing, winking jokes about modern day stuff for the adults. Like the scene where three of them are looking up at the sky and Simba says, my father told me that all the great kings are up there. Right. And they're looking down at us. And Pumbaa goes, oh, I just thought they were just big balls of gas. Yeah. Superheated to be lights and lights. That sort of stuff, it's early enough that it still, I guess, was kind of novel, if you look at it in the time At that time, yeah, if you look at But looking at now, when we've had, in addition to the dozen other princess movies of the Renaissance, but we had all the remakes Mm -hmm. and all the knockoffs, it's really Mm self-conscious. And I think it sort of reigned in in the imagination that Disney was showing in the ten years previously, to the point where everything is kind of codified. And we're now beginning to see a certain codification in its other properties. Going back to what Matt was asking, look at what's going on now with the Marvel movies franchises now that they're under Disney. Here's $300,000. Be glad you have it. And you don't like it? We'll just get somebody else. I don't even know if I would have liked it if I saw it as a kid, to be totally honest. Oh, I think so. I've shown it to my nieces and mm-hmm. nephews. At its heart, what we're talking about here is a kid's movie. Yeah. The self-referential sort of winks that they do, that's for the adults who have to bring yeah. the kids, and that's to keep them interested in it. Quite honestly, I've seen this movie. I actually sat down and watched it from start to finish mm-hmm. twice, and that's it. I have no desire to see The Lion King. I have nothing against The Lion King. It was cute. It's charming. It's got good songs. I especially like Jeremy Irons, the big number he has. Be prepared. That's one of my favorites. Of course, Hakuna Matata. Who doesn't love Hakuna Matata? You know what was funny, though? I think that you can tell when each of these songs are coming. Well, of course you can. Here comes the villain song. But that's part of the film. Every every film has a villain song. Every one of these films. Every sidekick has has a a, side. Well, everybody's got their own song. Yeah. But that's part of the formula that you're talking about. There's a certain reason why people go to see these Mm -hmm. movies. They're safe and predictable. And people, especially when they take their kids to it, they know what they're going to get. It's product, but it's product on a higher level than most product that we would see. It's packaged for kids. And it's packaged so that. People will continually pass it on to their kids, mm-hmm. their grandkids, and then when their grandkids have kids of their own, they say, oh, well, right. I watched this when I was a kid. That's what they're designed for. They're not made for me and you. Would I have liked it when I saw it when I was a kid? I don't know. I had Kimber White Line when I right. was a kid. And incidentally, for those of you who don't know, and you probably do, Disney did have to pay the creator of Kimba, mm-hmm. the White Line, when he heard about this, because he didn't know. And when he found out, he said, give me some money. And Disney said, okay, well, here, yeah. here's... A couple million go yeah. away and don't say anything anymore. But see, I was into some weird shit when I was a yeah. kid, so I don't know if I would have liked this when I was a kid. It's harmless entertainment, but you can't get around the fact that it is formula. And once Disney found a formula that for the Adam, that were they milked that they it up every year. They milked that cow dry, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is why they acquired Pixar because I think they realized we done rode this horse to death. They can't go no further. So let's buy them out. Which do you consider was the beginning of the end for them? Was it Hunchback? Or do you think that it went a little further than that? Do you think? Oh, uh, I think about it. Yeah, because I saw Hunchback. By Hunchback, 
Mm-hmm. You're sitting there. You say, "I've seen this before." Yeah. Matter of fact, I've seen this two or three times before mm-hmm. when they had the gargoyle as sidekicks. I said, "Yeah, okay, this is a little bit too." I actually wish that they had been a little bit more faithful in their adaptation of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Now, see, that would have freaked people out. Yeah. If they had been more like the Charles Lawton version. Yeah. <laughs> Or like the novel, which ended as, if you remember, oh, yeah. opening up Esmeralda's coffin and finding the hunchback skeleton embracing Yeah, bra- yeah, yeah. Now see, now that, they'd have had to drag the kitties out <laughs> and screaming and kicking. They, oh, yeah. mommy, yeah. It's a harmless movie, but I see exactly what you're talking about. All right. So that was mine. So that leaves us with Alakazam the Great. Oh, yes. Alakazam the Great. Okay. Now, we're going to take another break. Yes. Because Jay Shelton has scored a little something for us. And we'll be right back. Hi, fellas. This is Jay Shelton. Right now I'm in San Jose, California. Uh, thanks for having me back on the show. I'd be it taped. Well, I guess it's always taped on some level or not. The reason I picked Alakazam was because when I was a kid, and I'm trying to place this. I moved around a lot when I was young. I think it was when we were outside of Philly. It was a couple years. We were in Pennsylvania. And so it was probably Channel 17 which is the show out of Philly that got Kimba and Speed Racer, all those shows, they would show this movie, Alexander the Great. I saw it at least three times during that period, and I was mesmerized. It was probably late 60s. It was probably about seven years old. And I didn't probably, I don't think I understood that it was Japanese and that it was redubbed. I don't think I understood that about Speed Racer or Marine Boy either. I think a few years later someone told me. But I just thought it was the weirdest, oddest kind of most magical cartoon I had seen. I just really was taken with it. And then one of the voices were dubbed by Jonathan Winters, who we were, my whole family was a big fan of that show at the time. But I just remember it being crazy, and I thought that the character, the main character, Al-Kazam, was this kind of angry young prince that you didn't see in American cartoons, and I didn't know it was Japanese, but it was new to me. So... I suggested it on a whim, and then afterwards I started getting really nervous because, you know, you guys can get kind of critical of things, and, yeah, you're fair and such, but then I was thinking, that's an embarrassment. I get one movie to pick, and I pick this one I haven't seen since I was seven or eight years old, and I start thinking, maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I should have gone with Curse of the Cat People, which I know is a winner. So you guys went, you saw it. Well, at least Derek saw it. So I got it on uh, AOL myself. And uh, not AOL with Amazon. Amazon. I got it down on Amazon, and I rewatched it. And I gotta tell you, it still took me away. I still like it. It's still, just a weird, crazy film. And there's times where you think this is kind of juvenile. This is meant for very young kids. And then something very dark happens, or something almost sexual happens. In fact, I think in a lot of the American dubbing, we're we're, we're getting hidden things. I think there were things that were more obvious and a little more sexual in the original Japanese. Because I'm watching it and I'm catching more going on than the dialogue's letting on. But anyway, I still had a great time watching it and i think the art was fantastic not always um the most uh, costly animation sometimes there were a limited number of cells used obviously and it was a little stiff but still the art was wonderful the story is still pretty weird and pretty powerful and i'm happy i picked it and i hope you guys liked it too uh it's great kind of talking to you guys again and I know I've said it before, and I've screwed it up before when I've gone to New York and tried to look you guys up, but I hope sometime I can actually see you and go to the movies with you sometime. And thanks for doing 150 episodes. The show and the Facebook page, I mean, it's one of the happier, not that my life is sad, but it's one of the happier things I do is uh, my is watch the show and interact with you and the other people on the Facebook page. I guess that's all. Tell me what you thought of the cartoon monkey. Goodbye. 
Oh, that was very nice. Thank you, Jay. Thank we, you. We don't hear enough from Jay. Well, at least not his voice like that. And yes, by all means, Jay, whenever you come to New York, please let us know and we can hook up. Matter of fact, you know who we might be going to movies with soon? Who? Eric Fromm. Cool. He was supposed to come and stay with me for the weekend the last time. Yeah. Back in 2009 when the first Star Trek movie hit. Mm-hmm. For one reason or another that didn't jump off. But he's going to be coming down. As far as I know, it's still on. The whole right. He's got a family, so things right. may change. We don't know. But as it plays now, he's going to be coming down the weekend that Man of Steel. Ah. We ought to make okay. plans to hook like, up. All three I of us maybe get him actually down here and we can do a live, well, yeah. live recording. Well, yeah. Well, he's going to be staying here. Yeah. So oh, okay. That'll work. You don't get... He's coming to stay yes. with me for the weekend. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it'll work. So it'll work. So he'll be right here. So he'll... Hopefully, if things work out, he will be our first live in-house guest. We're looking forward to that. Now, this is based on the, the Monkey King story, isn't it? Well, that's the impression I got in my research for this. Because I knew this was made by some famous Japanese guy, Osama Tezuka, who was the creator of Astro Boy, Kim Little mm-hmm. White Lion, and he's called Godfather of Anime. He's responsible for those characters, and he's won like a whole ton of awards. He also did this movie, Sherman. Let's get in the Wayback okay. Machine. We gotta go back to the late 60s, early 70s. For those of you who weren't around, back then there was no such thing as the internet. There was no such thing as DVDs. There was no such thing as DVRs. Now, Tom, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you who are old enough, you're gonna know what I'm talking about, too. You live for the holiday weekends. Because on the holiday weekends, that's when you got to see movies that you didn't see the rest of the year. I had completely forgotten about Alkazam the Great until Jay mentioned it. And then when I started watching it, I said, oh yeah, I remember this now. Because they were usually Showed on Channel 9 or 11 around right. Christmas and Thanksgiving when kids were home for the holiday weekend and they would show Godzilla movies and right. the Peter Cushing Doctor mm-hmm. Who movies. So, yeah, I vaguely remembered seeing this once I started watching this. I don't have the same love for it that Jay, you obviously have, but you will be pleased to know that I did not consider my time wasted watching this movie. The plot. Alakazam is a monkey. And when the movie starts, the animal kingdom has to pick a new king. Right. And he's the main contender for the throne of king of all the animals. And it involves him having to jump over a waterfall. I have no idea why. But he does it, and he's crowned, and he's king of all the animals. Now, whereas he was a pretty decent monkey before he became king, once he becomes king, he turns into a total dick. (laughs) And see, this is when the movie starts getting interesting. (laughs) I know people hate me for this. Okay, now I'm just flashed on Mel Brooks from History of the World Part Mm 2. It's good to be the king. Yeah, exactly. That's (laughs) it. He starts kicking people in the ass. He starts demanding a bowls of M&M's with all the yellow M&M's taken out. He wants dancing girls. He wants people to perform for him. He wants all kinds of wild... The guy just becomes a total dick. To me, people say, oh, why would I want to watch a movie about a total dick? Sometimes watching characters who are total dicks can be interesting. So he learns from his girlfriend, who no matter how mean he treats her, she still loves him, she believes in him, and all that jazz. She tells him about Merlin the Magician, who's the most powerful magician in the world. And Alakazam says, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to learn his magic. And he does. He goes and he learns his magic and that's where he gets his staff at. Which is when I said, okay, he's the monkey king. Which, he's a monkey and he's a king. It's not that... (laughs) 
duh. <laughs> and he becomes a powerful sorcerer in his own right. right. Then he becomes imprisoned for a period of time due to his arrogance. Because, of course, he goes back and he's even more of a dick now because he's a dick with magic powers. He's in prison. And his girlfriend comes through rain and sleet and snow. And she's feeding him through this one hole that's in this stone prison. He's good to him. Then this prince rises along, this human prince. And Alakazam is freed from his stone prison. Mm-hmm. And he's informed that in order to learn humility, he has a sister's prince on his own quest. Right. And that takes up the last half of the movie. I found myself really kind of getting involved in the story. Mm-hmm. He's a character who's a total dick. But he learns how to be a good person. Again, or a good monkey. Mm-hmm. And he learns how to be a better king through helping this human right. in his quest. And he learns how to use his magic powers responsibly. And you can see I've got it up yeah. on the BITD Jumbotron. The animation by our standards, yes, is crude. But it's not as bad as Jay makes it out to be. As you can see, it's colorful. It's fluid. Strangely enough, the major problem I had with this movie was the voice talent. And, um, no one alienate a whole bunch of y'all right now. Jonathan Winters is somebody, he's never really turned my crank. I know right. he's considered to be a comedy genius. And I find him amusing. But... Not that Frankie Avalon does the voice of the yeah. Monkey King, Alakazam the Great, and of course, being Frankie Avalon, he has the same. Frankie Avalon has never been one of my favorite people. It's yeah. bright, it's colorful, the animation is fluid. Look, it's Bambi. Yeah, that's the same thing I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and at times, it is surrealistic. It does take a dark turn when near the end when Alakazam and the Human Prince have to go up against these creatures. I'm trying to remember exactly what their place was in the movie. Just watched the damn thing last well, I night. I saw it earlier. When we were first setting up, you had yeah. another part of this film on that we saw Pixie. Right. This is the sort of movie that I would advise people to see if you consider yourself to be a student of film. Because I had been hearing about this movie yeah. for years. So, Alakazam is... really the history of anime. Because this yeah. is very early on in anime's development. Yeah, this is 1960. And this was one of the first pieces of anime that if you were a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s, this is probably the first piece of anime you right. probably saw. Besides, as Jay pointed out, Speed Racer and right. Astro Boy and, and Giganto. Right, you know. And the Eighth Man. Eighth Man. Oh, Tobor, the Eighth yeah. Man. How come Zack Snyder doesn't do a Tobor, the Eighth Man movie? <laughs> Serious, man. I'd be there day one. It's on Netflix Instant. If you want to watch it, by all means, give it a look. It's not going to kill you, but your world won't end if you don't see it. But if you do see it, and as I keep saying, this is one of my favorite phrases, if you approach it in the right spirit, right. I think you will enjoy it. You will get some measure of enjoyment out of it. Alakazam the Great. No, Jay is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Thank you for recommending it. I had a good time watching I'm it. I'm trying to remember, because around the same time that this came out, there was another anime that came to the American shores, which was really, really dark. It was about a space whale. I think it was Pinocchio in Space. That was yeah, it. Okay. Yeah, okay was really, really, really dark. And they tried to make this into a kid's movie. Well, wait a minute. Wasn't there another one? It was Gulliver in space. Everybody dies at the end? That I don't remember. And also, I'm glad you mentioned that because I could see what Jay said about sometimes there's even sexual overtone in this movie. If you look at it and you look at the relationship Mm -hmm. of the characters' bodies, you can see that the movie in its original form was probably a lot darker there, but due to the dubbing and Mm -hmm. no doubt the editing that took place, because this is a short movie, it's 80 minutes long, it's not that long, that they probably removed some of the darker elements to it. And given the nature of the main character who really turns into a really nasty (laughs) 
<laughs> prick. There probably was stuff that they cut out. Right. They would have considered too shocking for kids. But it was a cute little movie. I was sitting here watching it, and I was sitting at my computer, and I was saying, oh, you know something? This isn't that bad. And I actually stopped what I was doing at one point to sit and pay, which to me, that's all the recommendation I have to give it. I stopped what I was doing to pay more attention to the actual story. Yeah. So, yes, if you consider yourself a student of film, and especially anime, and you would like to see a very early form of anime, by all means, check out Alakazam the Ground. Okay. So now, I guess we do a little sidestep. Yay, we on the dance list. Sidestep. Cut a little swap, then okay. leave the people off. For the last assignments that we had, when I was given The Best Little Whorehouse of Texas by Walter Bonham, Texas has a whole house in it. Lord have mercy on us. So Texas has a whole house in it. Why do I want Thomas DJ to watch Best Little Whorehouse in Texas? That's a very good question. And the answer is... Here's Charles. Fellow Texans, I am proudly standing here to humbly see I assure you and I mean it now who says I don't speak out as plain as day and fellow Texans I'm for progress and the flag long may it fly I'm a poor boy come to greatness so it follows that I cannot tell a lie. Ooh, I love to dance a little sidestep. Now they see me, now they don't have come and gone. And ooh, I love to sweep around a wide step, cut a little swath and leave the feet. Solemn and declare I'm for goodness and for profit and for living clean and saying daily prayer. And now, my good friends, you can sleep nights. I'll continue to stand tall. You can trust me, for I promise I shall keep a watchful eye upon you. I love to dance a little sidestep Now they see me, now they don't have come and gone And ooh, I love to sweep around the white step Cut a little swap and leave the people on I am taking certain steps here. 
someone somewhere's gone, I have to close her down. Ooh, I love to dance a little sidestep. Now they see me, now they don't have come and gone. Ooh, I love to sweep around the wide step, cut a little swap and leave the people on. Ooh, I love to dance a little sidestep. That's why I wanted Thomas DJ to watch that. I wanted Thomas DJ to watch The Best Little Horror House. Because I pretty much know that he hadn't seen it. He will go through that movie going, it's okay, it's okay. Then that scene hits. That scene that takes a decent movie and raise it to the level of pure awesome. That scene made a eh movie into, oh my god, I gotta watch that again. If you haven't seen The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, I would highly recommend that. That you go watch it, sit down, let it play through. Let your mind go, oh my god, why am I watching, I'm watching this, oh, oh, there's boobs, oh, there's some boobs, oh, now I'm back to this, oh god, oh god, and then that scene hits. And from there, it carries you away on the wings of angels. This has been Walter, and this is the reason why I wanted Thomas DJ to watch this movie. Talk to y'all later. This was a movie made in 1980. It was an R-rated musical, which yeah. would never get made today. Based on a long-running Broadway show. show. Although it's not one that's been revived since, and I kind of understand why, because the book isn't all that great. It's nothing that would be considered raunchy yeah. or risque as that, it was back then. It was based on a true story. Right. Also. Something like this, actually, and you even said it yourself, it's actually kind of tame, really. Yeah. It's more like a burlesque than anything else. Yeah, where it makes prostitution really fun and yeah. fun. And boy, these girls are just having a good old time mm-hmm. banging all of these guys yes. <laughs> all the time and living together like a sorority house. Well, okay. So this is the story of the Chicken Ranch, a whorehouse that happens to be in Texas, thus the name, which is run by Miss Mona, played by Dolly Parton, who is in a long-standing relationship with the town sheriff, played by Burt Reynolds. It Earl. Although Ed Earl has, as uh, Mona refers to her once, an in-town wife. And know the main reason why I remember the name of the Burt Reynolds Cop? Because why? everybody in the movie, nobody just calls him just Ed. It's always Ed Earl. Ed Earl. <laughs> in town, he's kind of courting this widowed woman who has a child, but his heart belongs to Mona. Although you get the impression, I think it's been a while since I've seen it, but... Everybody kind of know. But, right, it's like an open secret. Everybody knows he's carrying on with Miss Mona. But I think that there's a little subplot that in order for him to get reelected, he's got to marry somebody respectable, Uh and that's why he's courting this other woman. There is this investigative reporter out of Houston, played by Dom DeLuise, because at this point in time, in 1980, if you want your Reynolds to be in your movie, you have to take Dom DeLuise. You had to take Dom DeLuise. Dom DeLuise has decided that he's going to make the Chicken Ranch into his next big crusade. On the eve of a big football game between, I think it's the Red River Shootout, in fact, because, of course, it's Texas and football is important over there. Dom DeLuise raids the place, right. exposes everybody, and the pressure becomes 
great for Ed Earl to close down the whorehouse. And Ed Earl, for the first time, grows a backbone, goes mm. all the way up to Austin to meet the best freaking character in the entire movie, the governor, played by Charles Durning. And Charles Durning at first is like, you know what, Ed Earl, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. I believe in what you're saying. This is a tradition in a, until, of course, the people come with the polls, and the polls say, no, nah, they don't want the whorehouse. It's like, sorry, gotta go. And to the credit of the movie, Ed Earl does, in fact, order the whorehouse closed for good. Yeah. And there is a very bittersweet ending where certain people get what they need, but the thing that we thought was going to go on forever doesn't go on. True. Whereas, you know that if it was made today, the ending would be so changed as to be unrealistic. Right. It's not a happy ending at all. It's bittersweet. Yeah. I mean, there is... But you know what it is? It's a realistic ending. Let's put it that way. It's it's not what you would expect from a musical starring Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton. Who mm-hmm. both we associate with good old boys, good times. Mm-hmm. And because don't get me wrong, this is a good film and it's a good time movie. It is a film I had a loads of fun watching this film. Part of it is because of Dolly Parton. Yeah. Sadly, nowadays, thanks to all the plastic surgery, we forget, first off, how cute she was. Oh, and secondly, what a great person she was. I don't know if I would call her a great actress, but she's a great personality. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the fact that she is having such a good time. That comes across on the screen. Yeah. And she's just enjoying the hell out of being in a movie and wearing the clothes and the dialogue. And she really does do pretty good because there are some dramatic scenes in there where her and Burt Reynolds are And she tells them flat out, hey, listen... I'm paying you money. I'm let you sleep with me. You gotta have my back on this right. shit. And I was saying, whoa, she's really bringing it. Well, okay, but th- th- this brings up something else I want to point out. And we've mentioned in the past, we made reference to the f- that Burt Reynolds, there was a long period in his career where he was a very lazy actor. Oh, yeah. And this is right smack dab in the middle of that period. However, and I think part of this is Dolly Parton, there is something about the chemistry she has with him that actually prompts him to elevate his game. I and he plays right. a genuine plays a character. character. Right, yeah. He's not playing Burt Reynolds laughing and eating chicken. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He is, there's about ten minutes at the very beginning of the film where I started to worry. It's like, oh, great. It's, it's Cannonball Run 5. It's another mm-hmm. one of these movies. But after the first scene the two of them have together in the mm-hmm. sheriff's house, where they sing the song, thinking around with you. and Yeah. He stops being Burt Reynolds, and he starts being Ed Earl. Ed Earl, right. And he remains Ed Earl through the duration of the film. And he's actually really, really wicked good in this He's film. good. They're both very good in this movie. I knew about it years ago. Mm-hmm. I had seen it years ago when it came on. Because they used to show it like on HBO all the time. And I said, okay, well, it's Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton. Let me check it out. Ten minutes into the movie... I was right. really enjoying it. They do a whole montage at the beginning that's narrated by Jim Neighbors, yes. who plays the... Once uh, again, if you wanted Burt Reynolds, you had to have a couple of his favorite people in it. Where they're telling the whole story yeah. of the chicken, chicken ranch. ranch. Yeah. Back from the wild, wild west, through the 30s and the right. 40s, the 50s, the rock and roll thing, the 60s. And they bring you the whole history up to date, which is really good. The songs, not all of them are classic. Yeah, I think this is one of the reasons why Best Little Whorehouse hasn't been revived since its initial very long-standing run. Which mm. is that the musical book is not very good. There are certain songs that are written by Dolly Parton. Right. Most particularly a very famous song of hers mm. that people 
forget was hers right. to begin with. Mm-hmm. And there's that surreal moment towards the end where she starts singing, I Will Always Love You. And it took me a second to go, oh, wait, that's right. She wrote this. <laughs> but most of the songs that are taken directly from the musical are very repetitive. They tend to just go through the same chorus over and over and over again. The best song, I think you and I both agree, is Charles Durning's song. Oh, absolutely. First oh, off, absolutely. Charles Durning is loving the shit out of being a song and dance fan. If you see in a lot of his movies, and when you and I were talking about this beforehand, I was mentioning another movie with Robert De Niro and Robert Duvall called True Confessions. And right in the middle of the movie, it's a wedding scene, and Charles Durning, his character, his daughters get married off. And he does this jig in the middle of the movie. Mm -hmm. And you look at it, and it's astounding to see this big... Because Charles Durning isn't yes. a small guy. It's like the man is made of helium. And you look at his face and there's such a joy in his face mm-hmm. when he's dancing. And that comes across, as you say, in this number that he does. That's it. That's the showstopper of he the whole movie. He sells this thing. There's that one moment where he's in the Capitol building and he's doing the Scooby-Doo thing where he's ducking through the one thing and then you see him in the other thing. And he's coming out the other, coming out the other way and he's just going into yeah. the, yeah, the one and he's, to- and he's talking to the reporters yeah. and they look around for him and he's up on the balcony yeah. and, they say, and I just love, they have the part with the two reporters. While he's doing the song, folks, they ask him questions and he's giving these completely nonsensical answers and two mm-hmm. reporters look at him what did he say? And the other one says, not a damn thing. And that's what the whole song is about. How he gets out of making any any kind of statement and making a stand on what should be done about the chicken ranch. It's hilarious. I like but you don't like it either, but I like well, Dom DeLuise. Yeah, I, Texas think, has I think a- Dom DeLuise is the biggest problem with the film in that I, I think whereas Burt Reynolds is being a character, Dom DeLuise is being mugging Dom. Well, he's a cartoon. Yeah. But let's face it, Dom DeLuise, most of his movies, he's, yeah. he's playing a cartoon character. He's mm-hmm. not a real guy. Like you said, when you get Burt Reynolds, you know what you get. Yeah. You're getting Dom DeLuise. I like that song. Simply because yeah. he's got the choir in the right. background in St. Texas and the whole house in it. Little that really bizarro Buster Brown wig. Yeah. What's up with that? There's a whole scene in Two of the Here's the other thing. Okay, then there are two some... Of the, two of the best special yes. effects in the movie. <laughs> Here's what, some of the things that I find funny, but for the wrong reasons. The fact that because this is a movie made in 1980, some of these prostitutes are really, really, really 80s. Yeah. Most of them are of the kind of what you expect from a Texas whorehouse. Mm-hmm. Big hair. But then you get the girl over here on the right hand, you see, with the really strange Tony Tennille haircut. Yeah. There's the Asian girl. That oh, yeah, there's one Asian girl. There's one Asian girl. There's one, one black, black girl. girl. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even see the Asian girl <laughs> towards the very end of the film. The other great number that I really like in this film also comes towards the end of the film, which is Hard Candy Christmas. Which yeah. Is done by Dolly and the entire, much like this number that we're looking at now, which right. is the opening number of the film. Look at this girl here who thinks she's freaking Murray Osmond over there. Yeah. There's the Asian girl. There's the There's Asian girl. Yeah. yeah. It's weird because most of these... Oh, I liked her, by the way. Teresa Merritt. Teresa Merritt. There's the black girl. Ass. Yeah, there's the black. But the thing I like about Teresa Merritt is the first time I saw her, I'm like, oh, great. We're going to have Aunt Jemima no, character. No, no. But she's not. You get the impression that they've known each other for a long time. And they're scenes together. And I really like their scenes together. Because you get the impression. You get the that impression that she's a know, full partner. Yeah, that they've known each other for a long time. Yeah. Now, in my mind, their backstory is that they were prostitutes when they were kids. Yeah. They grew up well, in this business. Mona, it's mentioned that 
Mona was... Yeah, the, the Jim Neighbors monologue at the beginning. Mm-hmm. He mentions that Mona was the best prostitute of the original owner. Right. So that when she died, she passed it on to her mom. Right. And the Teresa Mary yeah. probably worked in the same yeah. house. And when she became the boss, she said, listen, you come work for me now. I'll make you a yeah. boy. You get that impression just yeah, from the because there, are, there are scenes in here where they're talking together, and it's just the two of them, where it's not master and servant. Well, they talk as equals. But again, but she gets to kick serious ass. But again, going back to what yeah. you said, and I think it's because of Dolly Parton's personality yeah. is so huge in this movie that it elevates everybody that she... If you notice, everybody who acts yeah. with her, they're better in the scenes that they are right. with her than any other scenes. The scenes between Burt Reynolds and Jim Neighbors is like kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, good old boy stuff. But the scenes he has with her, it snap, mm-hmm. crackles, and pops. And even the scenes she has with Jim Neighbors, right. he's better in it. That's mm-hmm. just how good she is in this movie. This is a musical that I think is genuinely forgotten. Yeah. It it has gained this sort of reputation that it's not very good, but it's actually a lot of fun. You know what What? this makes a good double feature with, which I think is another forgotten Mm -hmm. musical? Little Shop of Horrors. Of course. Yeah. From around that same period. There's another forgotten musical. Oh, here's another one of these 80s girls. The one over here. And what's with the one with the eye patch? Oh, it's, it's such a weird look. You have all these big hair girls, and then you have some out of the 80s. It was a lot of fun. And yeah. Thank God whoever it was who decided to do this project realized it needed to stay R-rated. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, if it was made now, they would go for a PG-13. Well, you know what? They wouldn't make it now because, yeah. oh, well, it's a movie that glorifies prostitution. They're going to say that. Okay, does it glorify prostitution? Folks, I really don't know, and actually, I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's a movie. It's entertainment. Yeah, of course, we are not seeing the drugs and alcoholism right. and the violence that goes along with it. Well, that's because Miss Milner runs a clean house. Well, that's it. There's no. that whole that the, opening. The, yeah, the there's whole, that opening number after the Jim Neighbors monologue where she goes through the rules of the house, where she says, "You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do that." And no pimps. She says that. She's not, no pimps. What? I said, "Well, okay." Yeah. There's some movies that you watch for nothing but fun. Is it glorifying right. prostitution? I don't even look at it in that sense. It's a fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to be a r- accurate representation. Presentation of prostitution. It's a musical cult, right. for God's sake. Okay, so come on already. Just sit back. Some people need to take their PC yeah. and put it in their hip pocket and relax. That's our four assignments. Yeah. The worst we can say about it, all four of them is that one was just kind of, yeah. Matter of fact, we ought to do this again sometime. Let people give us suggestions. Because these suggestions, I'm going to yeah. say it. My two suggestions were nowhere near as bad as I thought they were. They yeah. were movies I probably wouldn't have watched on my own. I yeah. would never have watched Best Little Whorehouse. It wasn't Walter suggesting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad I did because it is a load of fun. Yeah, I'm glad I watched my two as well. Alakazam the Great, the animated movie about a really dickish monkey yep. king <laughs> who learns how to be a nice guy. Yeah. And Primer, the time travel sci-fi movie that is utterly and totally incomprehensible, but yet I advise that you watch it. So. Do we have anything going on with the Twitter with the feed? Twitter. You guys are disappointing us. We go through all this trouble of starting a Twitter feed. This is what you show us for. I told you Twitter was a fan. Wait, 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 wait. Pull everything, please. Remember that from the Dick Tracy? Pull everything. Pull everything. One of the most racist 
cartoons ever to be on television. Was it Go Go Gomez and what was it? Was the English Bulldog Joe Jitsu? Joe Jitsu. Yeah. My theory has always been because we never saw Dick Tracy actually in the field. He would sit at his office. He'd be in his office. Yeah. I think he was just embarrassed by all these guys. Uh, You go do that. It was the Bulldog that talked like Cary Grant. Yes. I forget his name. But Jiu-Jitsu and Gogo Gomez, the Mexican and the Japanese, yeah. Pruneface is stealing cats. I think this is a job for Gogo Gomez. And he would call him on his two-way wrist TV. Yeah. And then halfway through the episode when he was in a cliffhanger, whoever yeah. it was would say, hold everything, please. And everything would stop me. He would call Dick Tracy. And Dick Tracy would say, listen, what are you bothering me for? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know you guys. And once again... We have gotten off track of what we're supposed to be doing. Okay, here's the deal. You've just listened to about an hour and 20 minutes or so of the 150th episode. Right. And one of the features that we had promised was that we were going to live answer your questions if you tweeted them to at BITD show. Yeah, a bunch of twits, yeah. We did get a lot. Well, yeah, we did. Unfortunately, because this was only the second day that we were using this newfangled social media called the Twit. And we're idiots. We didn't realize that all your questions were going to a separate page. Yeah. So as a consequence, some of them did not get read. Or the actual episode, right? But this is in Tom, like, and I love it when he uses fancy words like this. An addendum, an addendum to address the handful of questions that people did send us, right? That we forgot to answer. So you're listening to this all at one time, but we're actually recording this time to, travel again, folks. Time travel again, timey wimey, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. Yes. So let's just get to it. The first question that we did not mention. Was from Adam Orjachowski. Ah, my man. At Ordy John, who asked, Which episode would you redo now if you could? Indiana Jones. Well, that's one we've always talked about. Indiana Jones. The Indiana Jones one and the George Romero one. We're definitely going to do the Indiana Jones one because, of course, we have Kingdom of the Crystal Skull now to add to it. Believe it or not, that's been one that me and Tom have been saying for the longest. Because we're going to do any one, we're going to do those earliest primitive episodes. Mm -hmm. Those first five or six are so kind of screwed up. Tech-wise. So now that we know what we're doing. Right. We, we always said we wanted to go and back And since everything. in the case of the Indiana Jones episode and the George Romero zombie episode, there have been new films that have come out in both right. series, so we figured this would be a good excuse to redo them. For an entirely different reason, mm-hmm. one episode that I would want to redo is the episode that you and I just refer to these days as That Show. Oh, yeah, That Show. Just because that is the one where I think we really kind of overstepped our boundaries a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mostly me. Yeah, don't worry about it. When I reach that moment, it kind of embarrasses me. When I do my periodic, I think I explained it in 150, I once every six months go through the entire archives to make sure we haven't promised anything that we haven't delivered yet. Right. And well, is there anything that we have? There's a number of things. Some of that we are getting to. Like, for example, the Smoking the Bandit episode. We're well, that whole summer of, <laughs> summer yeah. of speed thing just kind of that, fizzled. That, that kind of fizzled out. That kind of fizzled out. <laughs> it got flat. Oh, man. Right yeah, man. Yeah, we got to do that. Especially after we've sat through those yeah. four oh. smoky and the band, well, really, yeah. they're the bandit teeth because yeah. there is no smoky. After we suffered through those four yeah. TV movies. Yeah, we owe it to ourselves. There too. are a number of directors' courts we've talked about doing that we never got around to. 
For example, the one on what's his name, Narnie Darko guy. Uh, I can't remember his name. Oh yeah, that character. That is a movie. I'm sorry, I don't get that movie, and I've watched that movie three times just simply because I have people whose opinion I respect who tell me it's a movie that grows on you. I'm sorry if I've watched it three times and it hasn't grown on me yet. I kind of seriously doubt that it will. I watched the box, and the box has a wonderful premise. Behind it, but well, of course, it's a premise that was created by a man that we're about to yeah. talk about later on in this recording day. Yeah, it's a wonderful premise, but I don't know for some reason it just goes off the rails for me completely after I say about the first hour or so. Mm-hmm. Who else? There was Luke Besson. There were a number of great, great men we talked about doing. The one that particularly comes to mind is Richard Pryor. Yeah. So there are a number of things that we've talked about doing that we've not gone around to, but there are a lot less than they used to be. Eventually we'll get to it. Yonder lies the promised land, folks. We will get there eventually. That's my extra answer for that one. Next question. Okay, from our good friend Chris Johnson. What's your favorite Howard Hawks film? To Have and Have Not. Okay. That's tied with Only Angels Have Wings with Cary Grant. Yeah, that's the one where Cary Grant, he's a flyer in South America. And let me look up her name. Actually, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, because I know her name. Don't worry. This is a problem we're having because we're old. Gene yeah. Arthur. Gene Arthur. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's a tie between To Have and Have Not, which is the movie, of course, they introduced Lauren Bacall to the right. world with Humphrey Bogart. And I have this fight with movie fans all the time. I actually prefer it over Casablanca, which I think is a boring-ass movie. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I know that a lot of you are falling over, clutching your heart, doing the Fred Sanford, Elizabeth, right. I'm coming to join your honey mm-hmm. thing now. But I'm sorry. Casablanca and The African Queen, those are two Humphrey Bogart movies I simply cannot sit through. They're just boring as hell. But I much well, prefer to have and have not. Not wanting to add more, but maybe this is something we can return to because I think that Mr. Bogart might be a good subject to induct into the hall. Oh, listen, if there is a great, great man above great, great men, then Humphrey Bogart yes. is one of the nominees, mm-hmm. definitely. This is a guy we... Think about it. He's been dead now for, what, like 50, 60 years? And his name is still in popular culture when you talk about, yo, man, don't Bogart that. Can you think of any other movie stars whose name was turned into an American play? He's also, first off, here's this guy. He had a club foot. He had wooden teeth. He was not an attractive man In the conventional sense, yeah. But he was a major movie star. He was married to one of the hottest women that was alive on Earth at that time. And he was the epitome of quiet, cool, tough. Yeah. When I was a kid and I discovered Humphrey Bogart, as I'm sure a lot of people did, watching the late night TV movie, even as a kid, he fascinated me. Just the way he moved and the way he talked and the right. way he acted. What was that classic line he had in one movie where he told the guy, he just wacky bitch slapped him and he said, you're slapped, you'll take it <laughs> And you like it? I said, whoa. Now, I'm also torn between two films that Hawks did. Okay. One of them is also a Humphrey Bogart film, and that's The Big Sleep. Oh! I watched that last night. Which when is, do you mention it? I, I think it's probably one of the best interpretations of Marlowe that we've ever seen. It does take a little bit of liberties with the book, obviously. Beyond a certain point, it doesn't make a lick of sense. Isn't there a famous story that's connected with that where the director, Howard Hawks, called up Raymond mm-hmm. Chandler and said, hey, who killed so-and-so and so-and-so? Right. And even Chandler said, 
Listen, I don't know. <laughs> That's how convoluted the plot gets after right. a while. You know that there's actually two versions of that movie. No, I did not. There's a straight version. When they showed that to premier audiences, the thing they complained about, there wasn't enough Lauren Bacall. Right. So they actually had to call her back, mm-hmm. and they filmed more scenes well, banter between her and Humphrey Bogart that some people say actually adds to the confusion of the movie right. because, of course, they had to take out scenes mm-hmm. where... It's explained as to who did what. There's actually a part where Humphrey Bogart is in the district attorney's office, and he gives pretty much a summary of what has happened in the right. movie up until then so that audiences know what's going on. Now, occasionally, Turner Classic Movies, folks, if you watch it, they didn't do it last mm-hmm. night. What they'll do is that they'll run the two versions back to back. So just be aware of that, that there are two versions of that movie out. And both of them are equally good. Yeah, I love The Big Sleep. And the other one is bringing up Baby, which is a great example of the 30s screwball comedy. It's a good example of the fact that, quite frankly, Catherine Hepburn had a really good sense of humor. And I I thought it was just a lot of laugh-out-loud fun. Would you say that this is the definitive screwball comedy? Once again, you're kind of weighing this against my man Godfrey. No, yeah. There are a couple of others that are in the running for greatest screwball comedy of all time. My Man Godfrey, it happened one night, I would throw in there as a possible contender for the greatest screwball comedy of all time. But it's definitely in that upper five percentile. Okay. And it's a great... But the thing is, I was, and still am, a really big Catherine Hepburn freak. I think she was a tremendous actress. And Mm -hmm. I think, unfortunately, probably because of how distinctive her voice is, people think of her only in caricature. Yeah. They don't realize how great a range she had. Oh, yeah. She was a really gifted comedian when she wanted to be. One of my favorite movies, and I recommend this to people all the time, I said it's probably the most quotable movie Mm -hmm. in history, is The Lion in Winter. Mm -hmm. With her and Peter O'Toole, Anthony Hopkins in one of his earliest roles. As a matter of fact, this was a role that Catherine Hepburn got him for this movie. Timothy Dalton in one of his earliest roles. Yeah, it's really a wonderful wonderful movie and if you guys out there if you haven't seen it by all means catch it the line in winter and as you said excellent performance by Catherine Hepburn yeah outstanding performance plus of course the other thing people kind of forget is that back in the day she was kind of hot oh yeah you know and then this is another example bringing up babies is an example of how really hot she could be if you look at some of these actresses especially now I tell people all the time Shelley Winters most people only know her from the Poseidon Venture when of course she had gained weight because the one was in a six Come on, mm-hmm. cut her a break. Go back and look at her movies from the 40s and 50s when she was actually compared to Marilyn Monroe. You got to remember that. A lot of people forget that. She was a contemporary of Marilyn Monroe, and she was considered to be a blonde bombshell as well. Go back and look at some of those movies, and you say, whoa, she was hot. And like yeah. you said, Catherine Hepburn, another one. Yeah, definitely. Plus, you know, Leopard. Leopard. That's the most. Leopard. <laughs> That is one of the most non-secretorial things, we, even though it's internally in keeping with what we're just discussing. It's keeping with the whole tone of this entire podcast <laughs> oh, yes. that lives on non-secretors. Okay. Next question. Mark Bosquet. Hey! At Mark, Bo- at Mark underscore Bosquet. We should mention that Chris Johnson's handle is at agent underscore 326. Okay. Mark asks, since... It's an anniversary show. Maybe you've covered this, but what are the five BITD episodes you'd include in a new listener pack? Uh, See, you'd have to do it, because, see, I don't remember 90% of what we've done. Okay. Okay. I'll throw out a couple. What made Tannenfield great, which I think was the episode that, for a lot of people, was the thing that first made people notice us. 
I would put in the. That's the Halloween, that's the Halloween, Halloween, Halloween episode. episode. Yeah, yeah. That you, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I that think was we good. definitely around there. Actually, first episode where we first started realizing, uh, as I put it, our Chinese restaurant episode. Mm. Yeah. Was the episode where we talked about serialized television. But most people, that was their first episode, so I put that in there. Okay. Either, and I'm waver between these two, the Twilight oh, Joyce and yeah. or the Three Faces of I Am Legend, which I think is a good example of us doing a, a very tight beamed selection of stuff together. Another possibility is the Rambo show. Oh, I think yeah. The Rambo show is really good. Just for the sheer lunacy of it, because it is one of those episodes that everybody likes to talk about as one of the funniest moments in BITD history, transporting Mr. Romero. Ah, uh, yeah. The George Romero episode that somehow turned into this giant riff about how much we thought the state was so tough. Yeah. What was the one that we did? Who was our guest host on that one? He turned the tables on us and interviewed us. Just a trio of good time guys sitting around jawing. Yeah. That was Ken McIntyre. Yeah. Which was at one point our most downloaded show. See, y'all folks don't know. Me and Tom just sat here flabbergasted after it was over. And we just looked at each other. We said, what just happened? This was an example of our guest host effortlessly taking over yeah. our own podcast. <laughs> and he did it with such charisma and such professional. We didn't even know what had happened. It's seamless. It was totally seamless. We're not even... I'm telling you, we sat here, we looked at each... What just happened? <laughs> what are the possibilities for a new listener pack? Yeah, that one I would advise people to listen to because they get to know a lot about us and they get to see us taken completely off guard. <laughs> I would say maybe the Sam Peckinpah episode because it's probably us at our most emotional. And that's the last time we're going to mention Sam Peckinpah for a while. So people say, oh, don't you talk about any other directors with Sam Peckinpah? We just talked about Howard Hawks for about ten minutes. Thank Shut you. Um, we talked about a lot of directors. I'm just trying to think what else. I'm going up the first point five. Either the first point five, the one where we talked about Shark Night mm-hmm. and about the marketing, or the infamous Summer of Fun episode. I think it was episode 92, mm-hmm. where we created the idea that people get et. Et. And we <laughs> explained the difference between yes. being eaten and being, being et. et. Another possibility would be the Prince episode, because that one is just so much effing fun. Yeah. Matter of fact, I have a lot of people even now. They'll tell me, and recently, because it was Prince's birthday. Yeah. Or it was Morris Day birthday or whatever. And a lot of people was telling me that they went and listened to that in honor of whose right. birthday it was. I forget who it was. So, yeah, that's a nice little... You Another guys. possibility you can approach a listener is doing one of each of our series within a series. You would include a Gilt Edge Bond, a Great Great Men... A obscure, BIT, an obscure, obscure horror, horror movie, obscure, and a BIT autopsy. Which is, a lot of people told me mm-hmm. that they really enjoy those, the obscure horror yeah. movie episodes where we turn people onto horror movies. Most of which they've never even heard of, right. they told me. They, people are asking me that all the time. Where do you and Tom find these movies? They said, I've never even heard of these movies. And of course, we're at this point now, and of course we're starting to think about what we're going to do for this year. Because we're going to probably meet yeah. in the next month and a half with Fred Reddick. And do our six pack, and I know which two I'm doing. And as a matter of fact, folks, it's actually starting to be work now to find. <laughs> actually, I know which two because I'm going with the tack that both of these films are fairly recent, but they're both 
films by people who are now much more famous than they were. Mm -hmm. I don't know what Des has planned or what you have planned. I haven't the slightest yet. There are two films that you brought up in the past as wanting to do for an obscure on the air. Okay, well, tell me about Um, No, I'll tell you right now. Okay, tell me. One was Incubus, the Esperanto film. Okay. Oh, yeah, William Shatner Shatner is threatened by a goat. Yeah. And the second one was the Roy Scheider film. Was it the House of the Seven Corpses or something like that? Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, yeah. so those two, that's what I would suggest. But ready for the next question? I'm sitting here in hot anticipation. Okay, this is from, of course, our good friend Kalen Conley. And if this goes up when it's supposed to go up, he's getting married today. Congratulations to Kayla on joining the ranks of the happily married. It is depressing me that I am getting to that point now where I'm like the last single person in my circle of friends. Don't let it depress you. Trust me. (laughs) It ain't old days of wine and roses. Trust me. Kaylin asks, are you going to continue your network review episodes? BITD on Fox and NBC were great. Hmm. We reviewed Fox and NBC because of specific reasons. Yeah, that was an autopsy. Both of those episodes, because the Fox one, we were just kind of, shall we say, shocked and amazed that Fox decided to highlight such a small right, corner right. of their world. Because that was in response to their anniversary show. And there were so many programs, and that's why we did that episode. We said, well, they didn't mention this show, and they didn't mention... There's so many good shows that Fox built itself on that it just completely forgot and it left out. And that's why we did that. NBC, I think that you and I were just fed up with the shit they've been well, shoveling. We were just so amused that they became the fifth-rated network. Yeah, with all the crap that they've been shoveling out lately. They're really a struggling network. It's still off. Although, we will say this much, I have a lot more hope for them after seeing Cannibal. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah well, Hannibal is bringing them back. Slowly. It actually makes me wonder, as much as we were laughing about Crossbones mm-hmm. and Dracula, if this is more of the same, if this is what NBC is doing, he's now they're now going to these people that are known for doing these kind of really interesting things and saying... What do you have? Yeah, they're turning the corner, it seems like. They're tired of being a joke. And you know what? God bless them. Although, don't worry, folks. There'll be plenty of The Biggest Loser for you to laugh at. Absolutely. That's not going nowhere. Okay, and this has nothing to do with NBC. Okay. Did you see that stupid reality show that ABC introduced this Sunday? Who done it? No. It's on my DVR. I haven't watched it yet. It's really dumb, but the thing that makes it even more funny is that apparently people think that they're actually killing people on that show. Oh, sure. You remember the one that CBS tried? What was it, a few years back? Murder in, in a Small Town? Murder in Small Town X. Murder in Small Town X. Remember that one? Yes. Yeah. People in New York remember that very clearly because, of course, the winner was a New York City was fireman. Was it yeah, New York City who fireman? Who died yeah. on 9-11. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but you had people that honestly thought they were actually killing people on that show. Yeah, <laughs> and they had people now. And the thing is, is that... At least Murder in Small Town X was Mm. shot on film, and they tried to kind of play it more or less seriously. They have no pretense in whodunit. From the commercials, you know what I thought it was first before Uh I saw? I thought it was Clue. You have that Marmy Butler guy doing the whole thing. The killer gives out bared or scared cards. Yeah. It's so goofily bad. I'm actually going to continue watching it for a little while because okay. for amusement's sake. I'm going to watch it today. Yeah, it's on my DVR. I just haven't got around to seeing it yet. But it's it's, it's really bad. But that's what made me want to watch. I said, yeah. oh, this looks like it's going to be kind of like that movie version yeah. of Clue. 
with Tim Curry, Tim who, Curry. Played, who played the butler. That's the thing, though, about the network retrospectives, because I actually threw up on the Twitter uh, mm-hmm. a while ago if there was any other networks people wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And, of course, what did we get? Somebody wanted Siffy, which won't work because I don't have cable. That's the problem, is that we can't do any cable networks. Right, because I don't have cable, so I can't really do a good and balanced critique. Right. can't think of anybody that I... Yeah, I really can't. As much as, for example, the idea of maybe looking in the CW would fascinate me, I don't think I could take that much pretty white people angst. Yeah, it's not worth it. I've got enough ugly white people angst for myself, thank you. And UPN, does anybody... Well, there is no UPN. There is no, yeah, there UPN is, is now yeah, part of the CW. There is no UPN anymore. It's not back to regular Channel 9. Right. My network. Which is owned by Fox. That's why a lot of shows that yeah. are on Fox... It's on uh, Channel 9 as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And they refer to each other as the sister, sister stations. Yeah. yeah. I do not see any more questions. I'm just going to do another check. It looks like those are the questions. Okay. So there you go, guys. We are now up to date. So now we can go back to uh, returning you to the end of the show. Okay. Okay, guys. So uh, once again, we want to thank you for hanging in for 150 episodes. And hopefully there will be more coming. Yeah. More, at least we have some more coming. Pop a bottle of champagne, and here's another 150. Send in the hookers. Yeah. Woo hoo! <laughs> All right, folks. Good night. Good night. You know another thing about Dolly Parton that I like about her too. You looked at her back then with the bust she had and the figure and the big hair. She's tiny too. She was sexy without it being dirty. If you mm-hmm. know what I mean. She was kind of like Betty Page, and that she made. Well, because I think she never lost sight of who she was. And she makes the joke about it being I'm just the girl from Pigeon Forge, but mm-hmm. she really was yeah. in a way. Mm-hmm. She never. White distance herself from who she was. And mm-hmm. I think that comes off in everything that she ever did. Right. Some women you look at and you have lustful. I look at her now in this. Okay, she's got a tremendous amount of cleavage showing, but let's mm-hmm. face it, anything Dolly Parton wears is going to show a tremendous amount of cleavage. But you look at her and she looks tasteful. She looks classy, mm-hmm. even wearing that bustier. But it's a movie that mm-hmm. makes sex fun. It's not portrayed as being anything dirty or sleazy. It's fun, mm-hmm. which adds to the fun of the movie. And Burt Reynolds, again, this is a guy that he could coast a lot of time, but this was the movie that he did. This one, and there's a couple others I can think of where he didn't coast that, where he showed that he was a good actor. So, so okay. That, that brings 152 a close. That brings 152 a close, and we will, of course, be using our standard stuff, but I guess do we want to talk some book stuff to keep people... Because something came out what recently. All-Star Pulp Comics number two. Oh, yeah. All-Star Pulp Comics number two. Oh, you're not happy with that. No, I'm happy with it, but what? this stuff comes out, people are going to think I'm full of shit. It's not that I'm not excited, but mm-hmm. see, once something comes out, I immediately turn to the next thing to keep my yeah. mind off of mm-hmm. that. But yeah, All Star Pulp Comics 2 came out, but I am happy because it does have Dylan on the cover, right? which is drawn by the absolutely phenomenal Will Mugenot, am I pronouncing it right? Mignot, I always Mignot, thought. yeah, who back in the day, I was a big fan of DNA, DNA agents. agents. Yeah. And if you had ever told me that the guy that drew DNA agents would be drawing one of my characters, I'd have told you you were crazy. But it's an absolutely phenomenal cover. I love it. The main reason why you should pick up the book, folks, is that for the first six months, the profits are going to go 
to the Boston Red Cross. Yeah, the Boston Red Cross uh, helping the relief effort for the families of the uh, people that were lost in the bombing, in that tragic bombing thing. So uh, yeah, yeah. I if mean, you, I was up in that area, literally. At yeah, that you were up in that area. Yeah. Because uh, the week before, we, I went up for the weekend, right, to visit among other people Dan Tolan mm-hmm. here at Earth2.net mm-hmm. and my friend Bex, right. Becky, and Sean. And yeah, I was actually at the site. Mm-hmm. A week before, and just hearing it's weird because also this week we had the Oklahoma tornadoes. Yeah, yeah, and wow. of course, obviously, our positive energy and our thoughts go out to everybody who has been afflicted out there. It has a double meaning for me now that I've become so close to Sean Ingle, who lives over in Oklahoma City. He and his family are fine. Lou Jack and Eddie checked for us. Having that personal connection to an area makes it even absolutely. Just let me say this. Because a lot of you people out there know that this is how you think. And don't tell me you don't think that way because I know you do. We hear about disasters that happen in other countries. Haiti, the tsunami that killed all those people a couple years ago. And some of us think that can happen here. Yes, it can. So you should always keep that in mind. Whenever you say, well, I don't need to send money for this or I don't need to do this, never forget that can happen here and stuff like that happened in Boston mm-hmm. and going back to 9-11 and now with Oklahoma with all those people that was lost in that horrendous right. tornado thing. That stuff can happen here. Mm-hmm. So let's all keep that in mind before we start flipping off at the mouth or making statements on Twitter or Facebook about why should we care and that can't happen here. Yeah, it can happen here. We're all citizens of this country, right. and we should all look out for each other. Exactly. If we don't look like out for each other, on. who's going to look out for us? Yeah. And when something like that happens, me and Patricia write out a check and send it to right. the Red Cross. We do. We don't make a big deal out of it because you're not supposed to. You do it from your heart. It's not a lot. I'm not going to say we give them away like tons and yeah. tons of money, but we do send a little something because it's simply because it's the right thing to do. Exactly. So that's enough. But, of sir, I now get off my soapbox yes. and go back to being a total goof. <laughs> yeah, All Star Pulp Comics features the first Dylan comic book story. Yeah, in color for the first time. Yeah, it was originally presented in Frontier Presents number one that was published so many years ago. I don't mm-hmm. even want to think about it. But when Ron said that they were going to do a All Star Pulp Comics number two and asked me was I interested in doing a Dylan mm-hmm. story for right. I said, well, there's already one that's out there. Yeah. I said, but it probably wasn't seen by a lot of people. So I contacted Russ Anderson, who wrote yeah. the actual comic story. It was okay with him. Mm-hmm. So hands were shaken, gifts were exchanged, promises were made, and now it's in there. And there's a whole lot of other talented people in there who's got a whole bunch of stories, which I should know. Are you trying to tell me that you guys have something in there? Yes, huh? I have something in there. Well, go ahead. Well, speak up. I thought you were going to say it. Yeah, no. <laughs> the Domino Lady story that I wrote and that my good friend Michelle Sciuto drew, which is called Bad Faith Healer. I think that's actually the lead-off story. Really? I'm not sure. I haven't got mine yet. I got a yeah. matter of fact, I'm glad you reminded me. I got to order it today. So, guys, go to IndiePlanet.com, is it? Yeah. And pick up your copy. It's $8. The money for the next six months is going to be going to a good cause. Yeah, the characters that are featured in here is Domino Lady, Keygore the Jungle Lord, mm-hmm. Dylan, Landstar, The Black Bat, Robin Hood, and Gideon Cade by Van Allen Plexus. Right. The writers, Thomas DJ, Ron Fortier, Sean Taylor, Todd Jones, I.A. Watson, and Van Allen Plexico, and the artists, Michelle Shiuto, Kelly Everard. Alex Kozakowski, Joseph Arnold, Aaron Mead, Lee Oaks, and Rob Davis. If I mangled any of your names, I right. heartily apologize. But yeah, 
If you go to IndiePlanet.com, you can order it from there. There you go. And it's the four pages. Oh, it's in black and white. Okay, it's not in so color. it's not it's in color, black, but it's still, it's the first time in a long time that people will get a chance to read this story. Yeah. All the writers on there, I know them all. They're all good. The artists, the artwork, the little bit I've seen of it, I've seen some See, artwork. See, the thing I love about Michelle's piece is that she did a little ink wash, so it's got this kind of black and white movie look to it. Oh, okay, cool. Which I think is, is totally sweet. Which fits for a Domino yeah. Lady story. That's one of those characters that I always thought would have done good, like those little short black right. or what, 60 minute black and white movies that they mm. turned out back in the 40s. Right, along with like like the that. Falcon and the Right, Saints the Falcon, and the Saint, the Lone Wolf. actually was, because wasn't the Falcon created because they lost the rights to the Saint? Yeah, it was the Falcon, the Lone Wolf, and it was another cat. But yeah, they lost right to the Saint, and then they just said, "Well, we'll just call him the Falcon." Right. And that's what, they took the same script and just crossed yes. it. Out, but okay, the Falcon, and that's it. And matter by that fact, time, George Saunders had already left, and it was Tom Conway who was playing the character. Matter of fact, the studio was even sued by the creator of the Saint. Well, he said, yeah, he sued him. He said, "Listen, man, this is nothing but." Which is why they stopped making them. Then, of course, then that's when they started making the Lone Wolf. Who again was? <laughs> you figure by that time the scripts were like really dog-eared. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Okay, cross yeah, out the cross out the, the lone wolf. Oh Lord, have mercy! But it was really interesting. And the Falcon. One of the most interesting things about that, if you ever watch Turner Classic movies, what they'll do every once in a while, yeah. like on a Saturday, they'll run the whole series. The character of the Falcon was taken over. I think it was Tom Conway left the role. Actually, got killed in the movie. Right. And George Sanders was it? George Sanders. George Sanders. No, took, I thought that Tom Conway replaced Sanders. Sanders. Right. That's how it was. Yeah. Sanders left. He actually gets killed, and Tom Conway took over. In a movie called The Falcon's Brother. And they were brothers in real life, which I thought was really cool. They actually got the guy's real life brother to take over playing the role for him. Those movies were a lot of fun. And yeah, I thought, always thought the Domino Lady would have been perfect for a series of movies like well, that. Well, I really enjoyed writing the character to the point where I have told Ron that if he does decide to do an anthology with the character, I am down for it. I'm surprised he hasn't done one already. Apparently, as we'll find out when he guests on the Nocturne Travel Agency, which is some other news we haven't mentioned. Okay. The characters that Moonstone has been doing anthologies of, he's reluctant to do. Ah, yes, I can understand that. Because in the interim, since the last time we recorded, I've started another podcast, which is called the Nocturne Travel Agency. It's available through Tricycle Offense and Burning Talking Points, Walter Bonham's website, and maybe another very big geek-oriented website very soon, but I don't want to say anything until I get the official go-ahead. Spoilers! Yes, but <laughs> it grew out of the pieces I did on the Nocturne Travel Agency blog, where I would interview authors, and it's just me sitting down with an author one-on-one and talking about their careers Mm-hmm. And their writing practices. I did one with Ron Fortier. I did one with Bobby Nash, Richard Lee Byers. Uh, and that one was really good. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I haven't listened to one with that Bobby. Was, I was very I haven't nervous. listened to one with Bobby yet. I really want to Well, I don't to think it's one. come out yet. That's probably why I haven't yeah, heard there it. there you go. I was nervous that first time. It was me flying solo for the first time in a long time. Because I had read the Zero issue. Yeah, of, of The Imposter. Of The Imposter, and I really enjoyed that character. He was a good choice to start off with. And Bobby, yeah. Bobby's always Bobby and I talk a lot about the Domino Lady and his original characters and pitfalls of publishing and other things. And that's, that's one the of the issue. nicest guys you're ever going to meet. I was fortunate enough to meet him at the first Hope Arc. He is the very definition of big teddy bear. Yeah, he's just a very nice. He's a gentleman. 
So, I just want to make one more thing before we go on to the, the pre-recorded bit. As you know, people who have been donating, we like to give them accreditation on episodes. Uh-huh. So this 150th episode was, was brought to us by Cassie Cagwin and Kimberly Montgomery. Yo! Ladies, taking care of these kids. Doing it for themselves. Sisters doing it for themselves. That's right. So thank you, Cassie. Thank you, Kimberly. And I guess until next time, as we start the road for the next 50th episodes, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what badass monkey kicks you in the ass, (laughs) while you're coming out of the best whorehouse in the Plainlands, (laughs) you know there was one. Go see that movie. (laughs) You know. You know that there some lion whorehouse <laughs> in the Plainlands that Disney didn't want to show you, but it was there. A lion whorehouse. <laughs> Good night. Good night, and God bless. So you want to let us know how much you like Better in the Dark, huh? And you do like us, right? Here's what you do. Email us at betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join the Better in the Dark Facebook page by searching for Better in the Dark on Facebook and asking to join. You can follow both Derek and myself and our individual Facebook pages to learn all about the facts to need to know about the both of us. And you can read the Ferguson Theater and Damn Your Ears, Damn Your Eyes if you want more you want more filmic musings. You know what else will prove you love us? Send us money. Send checks, money order, filthy lucre, or cash, we accept cash. Box to Myrtle Sporting Goods. Shekels. Care of Thomas DJ. Dollars. 5716 Myrtle Avenue, Ridgewood, New York, 11385. The Blooms. Set, make all checks payable to Derek Ferguson and make all money orders payable to Thomas DJ. Cash, it comes in green, it goes with everything. Or you can contribute via the PayPal link we have at betterinthedarksite.com. The PayPal link is, you have one click, and then you're done, and you can give us money there. There you go. If you send us a contribution, you'll be named a producer on an upcoming episode. And the best part of it, no minimum whatsoever. No minimum, no maximum. Send whatever you like. So come on, stand up, get involved, be counted, share your love, and don't forget to go go watch that movie. Precisely. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Lou Giaconetti of Earth Destructive Directive, Alan and Daniel at the Firewall and Iceberg Podcast, Dan and Wendy of Books Without Pictures, Eric Froman, of course, all the lovely members of the Better in the Dark Facebook page. Better in the Dark once excelled at doing the little sidestep until it sidestepped into a brick wall. Ow. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at the ITD Show. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.betterinthedarksite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.bhyphen.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember, Leopard. Because...
Rapper. Yeah, be prepared. Yeah, we'll be prepared. For what? For the death of the king. Why, is he sick? No, fool, we're gonna kill him. And Simba, too. Great idea! Who needs a king? No, no king, king, no king. La, 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 la. Idiots, there will be a king. Hey, you said uh... I will be king. Stick with me, and you'll never go 